Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Next week, he's teaching through the chapter, uh, chapter six in Galatians, all about um, learning how to bear one another's burdens. And uh, just in prep for that message, Nate asked me if I could teach from Romans chapter 15, verses one through seven, um, just as a parallel message um, for that upcoming message. So if you have your Bible with you, grab it out, turn it on, and go to Romans chapter 15, verses one through seven. And as you're turning there, um, just a quick word, just to kind of double down on our uh, women's gathering announcement. Uh, I just wanted to welcome every woman to that event this upcoming Saturday. Um, these gatherings, they're called gatherings for a reason. You know, there's worship, there's a teaching, there's some food, really good food. And um, it's called a gathering because there's a lot of time for fellowship, to build relationships, to go deeper into connection with other women here at the church. And so if you're a woman here who's looking to um, build some deeper Christian relationships, I encourage you to go out to this event on Saturday. I have been to a few of these. Um, not necessarily to attend, but to lead worship. Uh, the pause was important there. But um, every time I've gone to one, they're always really powerful and special. And my wife, Chesley, is actually teaching at this upcoming uh, women's um, gathering, and she's incredible. So I hope that you women are encouraged by that event this weekend and hope you can go, uh, go to calvary.com slash events to sign up. Okay, today we're in the book of Romans chapter 15, verses one through seven, um, in a message that I've called, Jesus Builds Strong Churches. Jesus Builds Strong Churches. Let's read from Romans 15, uh, verse one. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we're just real thankful to be able to gather here in this building freely. Even if we weren't free to do this, Lord, we just commit to you that we would still gather to worship you, to receive from your word, to be empowered by your spirit, and to build one another up into Christ-likeness. So Lord, we're just asking now that you would fill our minds with your truth and that you'd encourage us, Lord, as we look at your word. Thank you so much for speaking to us today through your word. What a gift to know the God in heaven through this word. So we praise you. And thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray together. 
Amen. Amen. Well, when I was younger, I used to go to a lot of concerts, and I'd go to the kind of concerts that your mom really didn't want you to go to, is the, the rowdy ones, the loud ones, the angry ones, and there's a lot going on at these con- concerts. People are running around, moshing, jumping off of things and each other. And uh, one of the things I love to do was to jump on the stage and stage dive, and I'll demonstrate right now. No, I'm just kidding, I won't do that. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are ready for that or not. But um, I love to do that, it was just fun to do. And uh, one night I went to a concert to one of my favorite bands, and um, there's a lot of people there. And I was there and I was getting pushed against all the people in front of me and behind me and side to side. I couldn't really move, but I wanted to get up on the stage, right? And so while I was right here, I tried to do the little leapfrog motion. I put my hands on somebody's shoulders and tried to, to jump up over them. As you can tell, I'm a, I'm a little smaller in stature. I had a hard time doing the muscle up over somebody and I kind of gave up and just kind of stayed right where I was at. And um, when I thought all hope was lost, I felt two big man hands on my waist, which sounds concerning, I understand. But before I could realize what happened, I was up in the air over the people in front of me and flying towards the stage. And what I was not capable of doing in that moment, getting up over the people, I was now able to do by the assistance of some maybe angel, I'm not sure who it was, but somebody who threw me up over these people onto the stage. And I know it's a silly story, but I feel like um, that story does kind of replicate a little bit of what we're seeing here in Romans 15, that a strong God is trying to propel us into a strong future as a church. And so today I just wanna look at Romans 15, one through seven, and just try to show you a little bit about how God strengthens his church and how he is a strong God, amen. So let's take a look back at verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse one. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Let's break this down just a little bit so we kind of know what we're talking about. Um, Paul is writing to the Roman church And he says, we who are strong, Paul's including himself with the people of Rome, although he's not there with them. And he's not talking about muscles or stature when he talks about the strong. He's talking about people who are strong within, about a strong faith, a strong trust in Jesus. And he tells them that those who are strong are to have an obligation to bear with Now that word obligation here, it refers to a moral or legal agreement or requirement. So the idea here is that the strong, they're under contract to be patient with the nature of weak believers. They're to exercise an ability to help with the weaknesses of the weak. And this is more than just tolerating somebody, just going along with the flow with somebody. This is actually sympathizing with someone who is weaker than you. Rather than criticizing them, you're sympathetic towards them. And he goes on to talk about the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. The failings, this is a, the Greek word that's used here, it's only used one time in the New Testament. 
and it's used to describe um, the capacity of somebody. The weaker person has a limited capacity. And when we read failings, we might think of the word sin, somebody's moral failings, and this definitely has to relate to that, but it also just relates to somebody's just overall capacity to handle the hardships that come their way. The strong are assigned to help those who are weak rather than just kicking back and waiting for the weak to somehow get stronger. And then he goes on to talk about how each of us is to please his neighbor for his good in order to build him up. Paul's instruction is for the strong to actually help their neighbor. And you might be wondering right now, who is a neighbor? I don't even know my neighbors. Most of us probably don't even know our neighbors. I just met one of my neighbors for the first time yesterday because our Amazon package got delivered to the wrong house. Um, But who is our neighbor? In this context, Paul is talking about other believers. So he's saying, look, Roman church, the people in the congregation are your neighbor. He's suggesting that the strong are supposed to help their Christian neighbor for his good so that the weak can become people who are actually strong and full of good deeds. And this happens as the strong build them up through edification and encouragement. So this leads us to our first point for the morning. That's that the strong are obligated to build up the weak. The strong are obligated to build up the weak. Believers who are strong in their faith have the duty and responsibility to build up the weaker believers around them. That Greek word for bearing with can mean to endure or in a a sense tolerate or to carry support. Um, But the context here suggests that the latter is correct, to actually support somebody. Because the truth is, you know, the weak people in our church, I I feel like that's like a derogatory way of saying something about somebody's faith. It just kind of is what it is. we're, We're all weak, amen? Can we all just agree on that together? So um, the weak, we all have God's spirit. We all have God's word. We all have his presence in our lives. But Paul here is emphatic that along with what God has given us through his resources, we still need each other, right? To help each other, to bear one another's burdens, to support one another, and to actually build each other up. In 1 Corinthians Chapter three, verse six, Paul tells the Corinthian church, I've planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. And ultimately God will always do the heavy lifting when it comes to growing somebody into a stronger believer. But the church is commissioned to plant and to water and to build. I'm commissioned to do that. You're commissioned to do that. We all have a responsibility as we enter into the family of God to be people who build one another up. So strong believers, you know, we arrange our lives in order to be disciplined and open to opportunities where we can serve the weak believers around us. When Paul says, please your neighbor, he's going way back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, that says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So because of this reference, Paul is reaffirming the concept of neighbor pleasing. Neighbor pleasing, uh, which is focused on loving your neighbor, building them up in the faith and supporting them in their needs. 
But this can't be confused with people-pleasing. Anybody a recovering people-pleaser? You don't have to raise your hand. I am definitely one of them. He's not talking about people-pleasing, which is something that Scripture condemns. In Galatians 1, verse 10, we read Paul. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. People-pleasing is the antithesis of, of neighbor-pleasing because it usually involves flattering people in order to get favor from them. That hits the heart. Or to win their approval by some kind of unprincipled compromise. Ouch. This is always incompatible with integrity and sincerity. But neighbor-pleasing is commended by Scripture because it's a method towards strengthening the weak believers among us. We're called to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, not to manipulate or get something from somebody, but simply to love them. <clears throat> I once heard this story from John Maxwell, who maybe you've heard of him before. He's a New York Times best-selling author. He talks a lot about leadership and uh, team development. And he talked about how one time he went to a fast food restaurant and he wanted to get a special order. He liked just to have a patty with uh, pickles. Don't ask me why. Maybe he had like a little keto diet or something, but he had a very specific order. And he went inside the establishments and he talked to one of the cashiers and said, hey, I'd like to order a, a patty with pickles. And the person behind the cashier just looked at him kind of curiously and said, I don't think I can sell you that. I, mean, I can sell you a burger and you can take off the bun, the lettuce and scrape off you know, the ketchup and all that kind of stuff. But I can't just give you a patty with pickles. That's weird. I don't even know how to input that into my system. And John says that, and I'm on first name basis with John here. Oh, John, he looks at the cashier person and just says, he says that he just has a smile on his face and says, yes, you can. I know you can. To which the person went from kind of like puzzled to curious, like, let me double check on that for you real quick. And they went back and <laughs> talked to the management and came back out and she's like, I, I can get it for you. I'll make sure you can, you can get it. So they're doing the exchange, you know, the cash and the burger, the patty. And as John's walking away, he just looks back and says, see, I knew you can do it. I knew you could do it. I just love that story. I think that this shows us the power of what can happen as strong people come alongside the weak people in our lives. John could have been upset with this cashier, but instead he chose to smile and speak kindly to them. He could have been in a rush, but he saw this as an opportunity for coaching. And the cashier person, they could have just totally dismissed John's encouragement completely, but instead they took it to heart and ran with it into success. So as a result, the strong helped the weak and the weak became stronger. Now the question is for us, how can we build up people in our lives who are weak in their faith? And how can we receive encouragement and not run away with it, but run into it? Let's move on to verse three. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. There we go. 
when we read that Christ did not please himself, we're learning that Jesus didn't consider his own pleasure in life to be more important than pleasing others. In fact, Jesus oftentimes denied his own comfort in order to serve the needs of the people who were needy in his life and in his ministry. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This is a direct quote from Psalm 69, 7, if that sounds familiar to you. And, you know, Jesus, he never said these words. But Paul is using a little bit of freedom with the Old Testament to typologically say that the suffering of the righteous person is a type of the suffering that Jesus experienced. So what does this all show us? Well, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Paul's looking back at scripture, the scripture that he has, he has the Old Testament written beforehand. This verb means to write in advance or in anticipation of something. And that something is our instruction. Paul didn't even have the New Testament. He had just the Old Testament, the Torah and the prophets. And he's like, hey, there's a lot in there for you today. There's a lot for the Roman church in that moment. That through the endurance, this phrase through endurance is translated as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So this, again, it refers to the capacity that someone has to trust and to believe um, that God is good through um, difficult circumstances and through the encouragement of the scriptures. Paul's making big statements about scripture here. He's saying that the scriptures are alive and that they're working to encourage those who wait on God's promises so that we might have hope, hope, this sense of confidence that someone can have as they look forward to the future. So this is our second point right here. Jesus uses scripture to strengthen our hope in him. Isn't this good news today that these Bibles that we have in our hands, God uses these, these words that were written thousands of years ago to encourage us modern believers in 2023 in Monterey, California, and online. Paul drops a truth bomb on the Roman church by telling them that scripture was written for their instruction. And they only had the Old Testament. So what qualified scripture to be instructive for both Jews and Gentiles? Because this Roman church was comprised of two people groups, uh, specifically Gentiles who were non-Jews and Jews. And there were many cultural clashes happening in the Roman church. So how can one piece of text instruct two different cultures and stretch the span of time to impact a culture like ours today. Well, we're a Bible-loving church here, so I'm going to take a moment on this. Here are five things about Scripture that help us see how valuable it is for us today. Number one, it's contemporary intention. The books of Scripture were obviously written primarily for the audience that they were addressed to, but Paul is persuaded that they were also written to teach the Roman church at that time and therefore us today as well. Secondly, it's inclusive value. Paul only quoted from half of one verse from an Old Testament book, but the truth remains the same, that everything, all of it, literally all the things of scripture 
are for us today. Third, it's Christological focus. You know, one of the ways that we view scripture here at Calvary is we believe that it is Christ-centered. So you look at the Old Testament, it's looking forward to the Messiah. You look at the gospels, you're getting a straight on look at the Savior, Jesus. You look at the epistles and the rest of the New Testament, it's looking back at the cross, looking back at Jesus, reflecting on how it impacts our lives today. It's all focused on Jesus. It all points towards him. Paul said this, Jesus actually says this about scripture too in his ministry, how it all points towards him. And even more modern theologians like Martin Luther double down on this same interpretation style by calling it a Christological hermeneutic. You can take that one with you for um, your lunch conversation today and try to impress somebody. Fourthly, it's practical purpose. Not only is scripture able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, as we read in 2 Timothy chapter three, but it can bring us encouragement and a view towards endurance so that we might have hope for today. It helps us look into eternity and back into our present to help us endure the sufferings that we all experience today. It's practical. It touches our hearts, our decisions, the lives we live right now, here and today. We can literally catch God's goodness as we read it. And fifthly, it's divine message. So Paul here, he attributes endurance and encouragement to scripture in verse four, and he attributes the same uh, attributes to God in verse five. This must mean that God himself is the one who does the encouraging through scripture, this living voice of scripture. We can literally hear God's divine voice as we get into scripture. I love this quote from uh, Colonel E.W. Starling. He once said, we must begin to take to heart that Christianity is not just a theory to be believed, but a living force to be reckoned with. I just love that. This Christian life, you know, there is, it's it's a thoughtful life. We're thinking a lot about who God is. It's contemplative. We're considering who God is, but man, it's a force, baby. It's got a plan. It's got a purpose. It is working out things in our lives as a church and in our lives personally as well. God is on the move through his word. Let's go on to verse five. May the God, whoops, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Okay, may the God of endurance and encouragement. Paul's pronouncing a blessing on the church as he uses the word may. He's not speaking directly to God for this blessing and God isn't specifically speaking over the people, but Paul is essentially speaking a blessing over the church. He's confident that God is gonna be doing this thing that he's asking because it's in line with his nature and um, his character. To grant you to live in such harmony with one another. The gift that Paul's wishing over the church is harmony. Isn't that sweet? The gift is harmony. 
Harmony can also be translated as unity. And maybe you're asking unity with who? With God? With each other? Yes, with both. With the church and with God. The strong with the weak. The Jew with the Gentile. In accord with Christ Jesus. This can also be translated in alignment with Jesus. And Paul basically, he just believed that the Roman church would be blessed if they could just receive the gift of harmony with God and with each other. Just receive it. Just receive the gift of harmony. It feels like sometimes we have to work for harmony, right? But God's spirit is just trying to give it to us. There's so much that we can let go of um, in order to actually hold on to this gift. And he's just saying, just receive it. God strengthens the church through unity and for unity. For the Roman church, the, they had a, a big divisions, obviously, culturally. And Paul saw like no way for the people to come to any kind of agreement with one another by themselves. So if there's going to be any hope for reconciliation, there needed to be a third party to step in. So God called, or Paul called, called on the God of endurance, the God of encouragement to come to the rescue. Only God could bring these people into agreement with one another and with Jesus. This isn't a plea for the Roman Christians to agree about every single thing and with Jesus. This is um, simply a plea to align their minds onto the essentials of the Christian faith because that's where the true unity um, develops. Kind of, when you get beyond that, you get into kind of weird uniformity and tribes and classes, and it gets kind of bizarre and loses its saltiness, um, if you want to use a scriptural word for our influence in the world. But when we align our hearts around the cross, the person of Jesus, and allow our differences to shake themselves out, <laughs> if you need to say it that way, in the church, man, you get a diverse group of people who are unified in mind and spirit and voice for Jesus. I heard an interview recently. Um, it was an interview between you know, the interviewer and some people who went to this uh, music festival called Coachella. And Coachella is this big three-day nonstop wild kind of party festival that happened in Southern California recently. And um, I've never been to one. But uh, I'm just interested. I'm like, what's happening there? And um, this interview was really fascinating. You know, they were, the interviewer was asking people from the event, like, hey, who are you looking forward to seeing? What's been your favorite part of the event? Kind of these boring questions. But then the, he always asked this one question that really surprised me. And he would ask everybody, what do you think that the world needs right now? Like, what a profound question to ask, right? Like, what do you think the world really needs right now? And there's a variety of different answers, but there was one general answer from almost everybody, and um, most people just said, the world needs kindness. We just need to be kind to each other, right? And when I heard that, I was like, aw, sounds kind of nice. Like, <laughs> I want people to be nicer too, I think, you know? That'd be, that'd be nice. And if we're not careful, that word kindness can almost feel like harmony, right? Like, yeah, that's like in line with what we're wanting too as believers. But the truth is, kindness isn't what our world needs. 
It'd be great to have some more. But what we truly need is harmony with the one true living authority of God. We need alignment with Jesus, our Savior. Kindness is mere niceties, right? But harmony is alignment under the authority of the one true God who has created us and created divine order in this world. And kindness is not gonna bring revival, but harmony will. And so our world is desperately in need of revival. And that comes as we are unified around the person of Jesus. The Roman church was so concerned about all these secondary issues, cultural things that they had just held onto so tightly as salvific in nature. But Paul's just trying to just strip all of that away and say, guys, the main thing that we're doing as a church is we are trying to hold to God's word. We are trying to live by the spirit, receive his love daily and live in obedience to our savior. We don't need just kindness. We need harmony. We need unity. And the good news is that God provides unity. God is our answer towards a redeemed nature and redeemed churches and communities and worlds. Okay, verse six, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that together you may with one voice. I don't know if I actually edited this thing all the way, but um, it could be translated one mind, one voice, uh, think of the words Paul's already been using about unity, harmony, living in accord, uh, one mind, one voice. He's talking about harmony. He's talking about being one with one another. So he's trying to use a lot of different words to just boil down this point. Like we gotta be together about the essentials of our faith so that we can glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul reminds the church that the head of the triune God is God the Father. He is the aim of our worship. If you remember Jesus' words in the New Testament, he says, all come to the Father through me. Jesus is the gateway towards God the Father. And that's who we're lifting up our voice to. We, we celebrate Jesus, we love the Spirit, and it's all geared towards God the Father. So point number four, God strengthens the church for the purpose of worship. Being the worship pastor here, I love this. This is great. Paul's hope for the church was to see them unified in thought and faith so that they could engage in common worship of God with one another. Now, when we talk about glorifying God or worshiping God, we often think first about singing and music, right? We call the first portion of our service the worship time. And worship is absolutely expressed through our singing, but it's also expressed through our beliefs and our actions with one another. God is worshiped when we have an awkward conversation with another believer about the things of God um, around a table eating food together, but he's also worshiped when there's 10,000 people singing holy, holy, holy. It's all worship. It's all God glorifying. It's all for Jesus. And so that's the, the scope of our unity is what I'm trying to get here is that our purpose in worship is not just to be singers, although we love that here at Calvary. It's to be people who are continually aligning our minds and our hearts around the things of God. Therefore, 
Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What Paul's talking about here when he talks about welcoming one another, he means to accept the presence of a person with friendliness. It's an acceptance that's genuine and heartfelt. And for the glory of God, it's to speak of something that is unusually fine. I love that. And deserving of honor. Which leads us to our last point for the morning. And that is that God strengthens the church to welcome each other. The Jews and the Gentiles in the early Roman church um, probably would have been fine with Paul giving them a simple challenge to just kind of get with the program and just smile at each other and be nice when you come to fellowship with one another. They probably would have been okay with that and could grit and bear through that kind of challenge, but uh, to lovingly embrace another person's presence as you would maybe a family member or a loved one, that would have been incredibly awkward for the Roman church to hear. These people who were at odds with one another to begin welcoming each other would have been very difficult for them. But Paul knew something. Paul knew that hospitality, true hospitality, welcoming someone into your life and into your moment, your schedule, that that would unlock the door to reconciliation and worship together. Paul's conclusion here is that uh, when we welcome each other with the intent to lovingly accept one another, we are glorifying God. Being hospitable is an act of worship to God and unlocks even deeper worship. You know, this is similar, um, but obviously not even close to the intensity or scope of how Jesus has welcomed us into the kingdom for the glory of God. We may be opening our arms to embrace each other at the doors, but Jesus opened his arms on the cross to embrace our sin and to welcome us into loving relationship with him. We may speak encouragement into each other's lives as we see each other, but Jesus, he held his tongue as he received the beating and the punishment that we deserved on his back, on his shoulders. And we may send each other off with loving words, till next time, have a great week. But Jesus speaks to us in the quiet moment, in that dark moment in the middle of the night, and says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. His hospitality goes deeper, and it meets us more personally than any person ever could. But what a beautiful example for us to follow as well. Amen. I'll just close with this last story. An old man gave his four sons a bundle of sticks and said, can you break these sticks? The first son tried to break the bundle, but nothing happened. He tried really hard, and finally he gave up. Then it was the the turn of the second son to try his luck. He thought it'd be an easy task and picked up the sticks really easily, but when he tried to break the sticks, nothing happened. Then the third son tried to break the bundle of sticks, but he couldn't do anything either. Meanwhile, the youngest son jeered at his brothers and thought they were very incompetent, as the younger brother always does. He thought he was very clever and took one stick at a time and easily broke all of the sticks. 
And the old father smiled at his sons and said, children, do you understand what just happened? It is always easy to break the sticks one by one. But when they are bundled together, none of you could break them. In the same way, you four brothers should always be together. No one will be able to hurt you then. Then the four brothers realized what their father was trying to teach them and forgot all about their enmity and learned that unity is strength. Strong churches are built by Jesus. They're strengthened as the strong pick up the weak, as they both receive instruction from scripture, as they learn to align themselves under the authority of our loving Jesus, and as they welcome each other while recognizing that none of this would be possible if Jesus hadn't first welcomed them. And today, he welcomes you. You are deeply, deeply loved, church. Let's pray together. Lord, we're just thankful today for your love and for your grace. Thank you that you look at us and our insecurities and you fill us with courage. Thank you that you see us and our missed messages with one another and you bring understanding. Thank you that you heal broken relationships, that you restore us when we fail. And thank you that through it all, you've created a plan to build a strong people for your glory. We ask God that you continue to strengthen us as we seek to honor you in all that we do and pray, God, that you be blessed with our decisions, that you help us in our failures, and that you give us a path forward with hope in our hearts. We love you and we cherish the relationship that we have with you and with one another. So we thank you. And it's in your name we pray together. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.